I'll be reading Acts 12, uh, which is on page 1015 of your Bibles. About that time, King Herod cruelly attacked some who belonged to the church, and he killed James, John's brother, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the days of unleavened bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers, each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. On the night before Herod was to bring him out for execution, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. Striking Peter on the side, he woke him up and said, Quick, get up. Then the chains fell off his wrists. Get dressed, the angel told him, and put on your sandals. And he did so. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. So he went out and followed, and he did not know that what took place through the angel was real, but thought he, has, he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and immediately the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked at the door in the gateway, and a servant named Rhoda uh, came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gateway. You're crazy, they told her, but she kept insisting that it was true. Then they said, it's his angel. Peter, however, kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astounded. Motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he explained to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Report these things to James and the brothers, he said. Then he departed and went to a different place. At daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. After Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been very angry with the Tyrians and Sidonians. Together they presented themselves before him. They won over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom, and through him they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. So on an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a public address to them. The assembled people began to shout, It's the voice of a god and not of a man. At once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God, and he became infected with worms and died. Then God's message flourished and multiplied. After they had completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem taking along John, who is called Mark. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we think about how this word from God will speak to our lives. Our Father God, 
May your Holy Spirit that caused these scriptures to be written take this word and work in us now that we might know about the power of your unstoppable mission, the might of our Lord Jesus, and that we might respond to you and your word with faith and obedience. Amen. Do you think Christianity has a future? Do you ever fear for the future of Christianity? I do. I don't know what you make of the scary statistics about the, the decline of the church. The people seem to be less interested in God, don't they? You know, a hundred years ago, there was only one in every 250 people who said they had no religion. In 2013, it was one in every five. And then of those who are still interested in God, well, no one's got any time for a religion that claims to be a unique way, the only way, to God. No one wants to hear about that sort of intolerant religion. You feel it, don't you? Around society as you read the media, particularly if you read Sydney Morning Herald or watch the ABC, you just constantly feel the Christian voice getting pushed to one side. As Andrew was praying for before, the the gay marriage debate is, is another example of how the Christian voice is getting pushed off to one side. Scripture in schools, it just feels this constant pressure that, that the Christian voice wants to be silenced. I wonder how long it will be until speaking publicly about Jesus Christ may be outlawed. Then you've got the, the rising tide of Islam. I read last night that uh, they think as early as 2070, Islam will be the major world religion. 2.8 billion followers. Do you get scared of ISIS? That aggressive momentum of the Islamic faith? Well, then you've got the four horsemen of the new atheism, four horsemen of the non-apocalypse, they call themselves. This is their slogan. It's um, Christopher Hitchin and and, uh, Richard Dawkins and their friends. Their slogan is, they are not bringing the apocalypse, they're showing you why it's not going to come. More and more people I meet these days tell me that they're atheist. They tell me that, you know, science is probably in the next 50 50 years going to prove to you that your religion doesn't need to exist. What's going to happen when the world around us decides that they don't need Christianity anymore? Will they be able to snuff it out? Is it possible to stop Christianity? Well, here's what God wants us to learn from Acts chapter 12. You can stop Christians. You can silence their voice in public debates. You can push them out of politics. You can kick them out of the education system. You can even ban them from a nation. But you cannot stop Christianity. You can't stop Christianity because you can't stop Jesus Christ. What do we know from Acts so far? We know that Jesus' mission is that his apostles will be these witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We know that they won't stop it 
Because Jesus has been risen from the dead. Where is Jesus? He's ascended. He's seated at the right hand of God, the the greatest seat of authority in the heavens and the earth. You can't stop Christianity because you can't stop Jesus Christ. You can't oppose Jesus Christ because, and win because he's God's king. But you know, many people have tried to stop Christianity. And Luke records for us one such attempt. It's Herod Agrippa. It'd be great if you've got it open in front of you. As it was read to us before by Bianca, it's on page 1015. Luke recorded these words so we can know with certainty that God's mission cannot be stopped. It's our big idea for today. God's mission cannot be stopped. It's mission unstoppable. I thought what might be helpful this morning is if perhaps we were to relive the events of, this, uh, of, of, of Acts 12. I thought we could do that by me entering hypothetically into uh, the position of someone at that first momentous prayer meeting. So if you, if you uh, have Acts 12 in front of you, it'll be helpful for you to, to sort of look through as we, we go through the events. Let me enter into character. <clears throat> Times are tough here in Judea. Things are tough, but we're not downhearted. It's the year 44 AD. It's been 11 years since the events that changed everything. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Jesus of Nazareth, the man mighty in in word and deed. Our leaders, they they were jealous of him. They conspired against him with the Roman rulers to put him to death. But what did God do? He overturned their verdict. He rose him from the dead, showing us that he is God's Messiah. He is our true king, the true king of Israel. I didn't really believe in him back in those days. I guess I'm more of a sort of sceptical kind of type. I wasn't there when he appeared over those 40 days to his friends, the apostles. And I guess a lot of the people who were following him, well, they were just sort of common folk, you know, people from up in Galilee or people with bad histories. But there was one person I was particularly taken by, my next door neighbor. His name was Timon. He, uh, he used to meet with me. And we'd read through the scriptures and he would tell me the amazing things that Jesus said and did and show me how they were all fulfillments of the hopes of Israel. Well, I was compelled. I was compelled by what he said, but I wasn't captured. That was until the persecution broke out. I saw Timon's friend, Stephen. I saw him martyred. Outside of the city. You know, around, the, around here, we do see people dying all the time. But I'd never seen a man die like this. His face glowed. Well, for me, it didn't really happen until the night that uh, Saul the persecutor came to Timon's house. 
He stormed the door down. He dragged out my friend, my neighbor. He pulled him out in front of his family and he said, Renounce the name of Jesus Christ. And Timon wouldn't do it. And his family didn't want him to do it either. I stood there in my window and I watched. If I'd been more of a man, I probably would have run out and done something about it. But there was something about the way that he would not back down from Jesus. He was dragged off to prison. And I got down on my knees next to my bed and I did what Peter told us to do that day of Pentecost. I repented of my sins and I believed in the name of Jesus for forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Been following Jesus for nine years, and gee, time flies when you're part of the mission of God, the unstoppable mission. But you know what? It's, times are getting tougher. You heard about Peter. He went to Caesarea and uh, spoke to some of the Gentiles. He went to a man named Cornelius, and as he was speaking to them the amazing things about Jesus, the Holy Spirit came on the Gentiles. Can you believe it? Gentiles following the Jewish Messiah. Well, you can imagine the reaction that got around Jerusalem. No one wants to have anything to do with us anymore. The Jewish rulers, they've kicked us out of the temple. People are calling us dogs and and pigs. If things couldn't have got any worse, well, they just did. Herod, king of the Jews... He turned against us. You might have read about what happened to James. Herod took him. You can see it actually uh, at the start of Luke's account. He took him. He arrested him and he put him to death with the sword. It's It's a nice way of saying that he was beheaded. You know who this Herod is, don't you? The whole family of the Herods, they're people pleasing. Power-hungry tyrants. You had Herod the Great, the one who built our temple. He was the one who who tried to stop God's plans. He heard about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem, so he killed all the babies there. And then his son, Herod, Herod Antipas, well, he was the one who beheaded John the Baptist and conspired with Pilate and the Roman rulers to put Jesus to death. These Herods have always tried to oppose the plans and purposes of God. And now here we go. Herod Agrippa. He found, out, he, he, he found out how much it pleased the Jews when he killed James. And so he proceeded to arrest Peter. It was the Passover, the week of the Passover festival. I know what you're probably thinking. Passover time. One of Jesus' followers arrested You probably think the same thing that happened to Jesus was going to happen to Peter. Well, let me tell you about the amazing power of our God. It was the night before Herod was going to bring Peter out for execution. Uh, We we knew that that Herod, we knew Herod's intentions. We, We knew that he'd locked Peter up. Luke tells you that he he locked him up under 16 guards. This was the power of the Jews and of Herod 
exercising all its might against God and his church. He had him locked up in maximum security. And as Herod exercised his might and, and, and clawed his grasp on Peter and the church, the church did what we always do in these situations. We prayed. We got together and we prayed. We asked every Christian we knew to tell every Christian they knew to pray for Peter, to pray for his deliverance, to pray that God would stop Herod as he sought to crush Christianity. During the day, we'd pray and fast. During the night, we'd meet at one another's homes to pray. And it was on that last night that we met in Mary's home. It was the 11th hour. And if you're someone who's used to praying and depending on God, you're used to this kind of timing, aren't you? The 11th hour. God always acts in the 11th hour, doesn't he? Why is that? It's because he waits until all human hopes are exhausted. He waits until only divine intervention could save the day. It was the 11th hour and we were all praying at Mary's house. And then we heard this. It was that same sound of the knock on the door that the temple police used to do. We thought they'd come for us. The look on Mary's face said it all. I saw her and it was as if she knew that it wasn't enough for Herod just to have Peter. He was going to come and take us off as well. So Mary sent Rhoda, her servant, out to the door to see who it was. She burst back into the dark room that we were gathered in and she silently was, she was quietly screaming, It's Peter! It's Peter! We looked around. Could it be? Could our prayers have been answered by God? Could the impossible be possible? Nah. You're crazy, Mary, we all said. You're a maniac. It must be his angel, I suggested to, to Rhoda. Sorry. But Rhoda was emphatic. It is, Peter, it is. And meanwhile, the knocking continued. But this time, it didn't sound like the, the temple police. It sounded like a man who needed to get in and use the bathroom. And so we, we went to the door and we opened it up. And we couldn't believe it. There before our eyes was the answer to our prayer. There was Peter. We were all giggling and, and squealing with excitement. Hey, you probably know that feeling, don't you, when you've been desperately praying for something that you didn't think could happen. And God makes it happen because God answers our prayers. Well, Peter came in and he told us to all quieten down and calm down. And he shared with us, he shared with us what had happened. I just love this about Peter. There he was the night before his execution. He's so confident in Jesus. He was fast asleep. He was asleep in his cell. And an angel appeared and shone with light in the cell, tapped him on the side, and the might of Herod, the military power of the, of the Jews who were standing against us, just fell to the ground. The chains fell off his wrist. And you know what? We weren't the only ones who didn't think that this prayer 
could be answered. Even Peter himself didn't believe what was going on. Guards sleeping, guards missing from their post, chains falling off, iron gates swinging open before him. It wasn't until Peter had crossed the first cross street out of the city that the angel left him and he had to pinch himself. And he realized, now I know God has sent his angel to deliver me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jews were expecting. And so he came to us and he, he was emphatic. He told us, he said, go tell James. That's Jesus' brother. He's now the, the leader of our church here in Jerusalem. Tell James, tell the brothers. Tell them about God's mighty deliverance of me. And the reason he was so emphatic that we tell them and the reason I'm telling you is because we've got to keep sharing these stories, don't we? We've got to keep telling one another about the mighty deliverance of God, the power of our God who we pray to. Well, Peter took off after that. And you can imagine the scene in, the, in uh, Herod's palace the next morning. The Jews gathered in expectation for what Herod was about to do, the, the might of Herod. And Peter's cell, for the second time, was empty and no one could explain where he'd gone. As was customary in our day, soldiers who lost one of their prison prisoners suffered the fate of those prisoners. Herod had all 16 of them executed. And then, like a dog with his tail between his legs, he skimped out of Judea, went off to Caesarea, embarrassed about all that had happened. I'm sure you know what, what happened to Herod when he was there, don't you? Everyone, everyone knows. Luke recorded it for you in, in verse 20. Uh, since you've got a, a, such a good historical account here from Luke, I thought you might also be interested to hear it from the perspective of another historical account. Josephus, the Jewish historian. Maybe you'd like to sort of follow along and, and see how both accounts recall how Herod took his stand against God and lost. Let me tell you what Josephus said. Josephus records that the appointed day on which the people from Tyre and Sidon had gathered to meet with Herod was a festival of celebration for the Roman emperor Claudius Caesar in 44 AD. The people were gathered before Herod and Herod was wearing a robe, he says, made entirely of silver. Josephus notes, The king's flatterers were astonished at the radiance of his silver robe. When it was touched by the first rays of the rising sun, they addressed him as a god, crying out, Be gracious to us. Hitherto we have referenced you as a human being, but henceforth, we confess you to be more than mortal nature. Josephus continues, The king did neither rebuke them nor reject their impious flattery. He was then seized with violent internal pains, carried back to his palace, where five days later he died. Everyone knew it. Jews and Christians alike. Herod took on God 
He took on God and he lost. As we get to the end of the story, I want you to notice something that Luke recorded for you. It's almost, it's almost uh, unassuming. We've got a word in the Greek language for death. It's the word of being completely expired of life, of breathing one's last. You'll notice it there in verse 23. Luke record, recorded for you that Herod became infected with worms and he breathed his last. What's the very next thing Luke wanted to tell you? Verse 24. Then God's message flourished and multiplied. Herod breathed his last. God's breath kept going forward. The message of God went forth. It multiplied and flourished. You see, you can stop Christians, but you can't stop Christianity because God's message can't be stopped. Well, let me come back to the 21st century and let me share two important reflections from this passage that we've just made our way through. The first thing is that God wants us to be confident in his unstoppable mission. Friends, don't be scared. Don't be alarmed. Christianity cannot be stopped. Don't fear the rising tide of Islam. Don't fear the four horsemen of the non-apocalypse. Don't fear what the media tells us. Don't listen to the ABC or Sydney Morning Herald to find out what the future of God's mission is. Turn to God to find out what God's intentions are for his mission and his church. I have a wonderful ethics lecturer at Moore College. His name is Andrew Ford. He's the head of Anglicare. And he also works, uh, is, sits on a number of advisory boards speaking about the Christian position in ethical dilemmas in our society. He has this magnetic confidence about him. It's contagious how confident he is in God's message. He knows that we're going to win some battles and we're going to lose some battles in the public debate. We might get scripture kicked out of schools, friends, but that doesn't mean that Jesus won't find another way to let his message go forward. Friends, that magnetic confidence in God's mission should and can, can and should be yours. God cannot be stopped. They can stop us. They can silence us, but they can't stop God's message. Here's the thing that's really struck me about God's unstoppable mission this week. And that is that the reason you can't stop it is because you can stop God's messengers, but you can't stop the message. It's the message that keeps going forward. Who knows why it was that James was put to death and that Peter was set free? God only knows that. 
But I'm sure James had great intentions for the church in Jerusalem. I'm sure Peter had plans for what he was going to do in Jerusalem. But God sidelined both of these. But his message went forward. It flourished and multiplied. And I've got to say, I recently in my life have felt a little bit sidelined. I've had a bad back for eight months now. I have a very heavily pregnant wife. I have a young family and I have exams that are coming up at college. I'm lamenting what a small part I feel I have to play in God's mission. But just because I don't feel like I'm doing anything doesn't mean that God's mission is not powering forward. Friends, you might feel like you don't have a big part to play in God's mission. But trust God that it is going forward. Trust God that that God's message is flourishing and multiplying. Trust God that if you have great plans and you get set aside, that that doesn't mean that God's message will not go forward. And that brings us to our second reflection, and that is be involved in God's mission. Since God's mission is unstoppable, there can be nothing more exciting than being part of God's unstoppable purposes. There's two really obvious ways, aren't there, that Luke demonstrated how we can be part of his mission, part of God's mission, through prayer and through speaking that message. You know, many Christians perhaps find their prayer life a little bit mundane. I wonder if it's because we spend a lot of our time asking God for things he's not necessarily that interested in. God, give me a pay rise. God, help me to sleep right through the night. Please make the baby sleep. God, help me get over this flu. I mean, sure, pray to God about these things, but God has told you his plans and purposes. You know God's mission on the earth, that his word goes forward, that people come to Jesus. What about this? God, advance your cause in this city, in this nation, in this world. What about praying, uh, God, strengthen the voice of those who are standing up for the Christian position in public debates. Give them compassion, give them clarity, give them conviction. I dare you to pray this prayer. You know this is a dangerous one. God, Let me tell someone how good you are. Let me speak to someone about Jesus. You know it's dangerous because God loves to answer that prayer. And when you get that chance, what are you going to say? No one ever feels like they've said the right thing, but just tell people something about Jesus. Tell them what he means to you, why he matters so much to you, why it is that you follow him. Someone told it to you. Trust that it's powerful. Someone told it to you. And look at who you are today. A convicted follower of Jesus. That message about Jesus is powerful, even if you mumble it and blabber it as you speak it. Speak about the message of God. Speak about Jesus. All that said, I want to exhort to you our prayer meeting on Tuesday and Wednesday night here at Church by the Bridge. I wonder... 
if Acts 12 might have challenged your perspective on prayer meetings. You know, it was only the people who were gathered there in that prayer meeting at Mary's house who got to experience the delight of seeing God's prayers, uh, seeing God answer those powerful prayers. Everyone else got told about it, but they were the ones who were there. They saw it. They were part of it. Perhaps if you want to get involved in God's mission, prioritize meeting with Christians to pray. Come along on Tuesday or Wednesday night and come and ask God to send his mission forward in Kirribilli and our nation and beyond. So we began by asking, does Christianity have a future? Of course it does, doesn't it? Of course it's got a future. You can't stop Christianity because you can't stop Jesus Christ. God's mission is unstoppable. It's going to go on with you, without you, and if you decide to stand against it, it's going to go on in spite of you. God's mission is unstoppable. Be a part of it. Be confident in it. Pray for it. And speak the message of it. I'm going to pray that we would do just that. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for your unstoppable mission. We thank you that no one can stand against you and win. We thank you that Jesus Christ and his message is spreading throughout our city, our neighborhoods, our nation and our world. God, grant that we might get to play our part in that unstoppable mission. We pray this for our good, our enjoyment and your glory. Amen.